Welcome to VB Engage, episode 22. My name is Stuart Rogers. I'm with VentureBeat, and I'm here as usual with my erstwhile companion, the author of Digital Sense and a marketing te- technology genius, no less. It is Travis Wright. Travis, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Stuart. Thank you so much for that kind introduction. One of these days, I'm going to have to Google erstwhile. I don't know if you're insulting me or not. That's the wonderful thing about the English language. I can use all sorts of words that sound like they're really, really intelligent, but I might actually be throwing massive insults in your general direction. And knowing how we are, it would seem that would be the case. And we're at episode 22. I mean, in bingo terms, they would normally illustrate that with uh, with two swans or something like that. I mean, I'd, I prefer smaller birds. You know, I think we could call episode 22 um, our paradox episode. It's paradox. I did a paradox, paradox joke there. Very nice. Deuce, deuce. <laughs> what do we got this week? Well, uh, I don't know. Erstwhile, former, old, past, one time, sometime, X. <laughs> old is the definition I was going for there. Um, so, <laughs> hey, look, you're in San Francisco this week, uh, and uh, I happen to be in New York this week. Uh, So what are you doing in San Francisco? Well, you know, I came out here to visit some clients. I have a lot of clients out in the Bay Area. And also, I was able to tour Adobe. Adobe has a new art project on Minnesota Street. They call it the Minnesota uh, Street Art Project. That's a catchy name. How did they come up with that? Yeah, well, because it's on Minnesota Street. (laughs) See what they did? And so there's a bunch of artists there. from all. They use all different kinds of medium. There's all these open spaces and all these different things that people can do with art. And Adobe is actually studying how artists are using their art so that way they can help them make better software for VR. Right. I was able to test their very beta rudimentary version of sort of this VR painting art creation tool that Adobe has. I put on the Vive and was able to, in this big space, just create this three-dimensional art with all these different filters and brushes. And it was really amazing, actually, to be able to... uh, to play around with that in, in, in real space. I actually, I Facebook live streamed it and they were actually able to see what I was seeing. It was really wild is creating these three dimensional pieces of art and then walking through them like pretty interesting. But that's one of the reasons why I am in San Francisco. Why are you in New York city? Well, we have this uh, amazing thing called advertising week, or if you're cool, you call it ad week in New York. It is uh, obviously for the week Uh, That's the first thing. And it's about advertising and it's put on by Advertising Week magazine. So, you know, it all ties together. I mean, again, with these naming conventions, Ad Week New York City, that's pretty descriptive. Everything you need (laughs) to know pretty much, huh? Yeah, it's it's right there in the title. So, yeah, here for Ad Week, it's it's not one of those conferences where everything is like in one place where you go and you sit in a 2000 seat auditorium and you just listen to people, you know, come in, come out and so on and so forth. Right. Um, it's it's like a citywide takeover. It's actually in 20 locations across the city. It's pretty impressive. But at the same time, because it's in all these different locations across the city and uh, because you've got all these different threads on in different places, it's really tough to cover it. And, you know, I'm doing like 12,000 steps a day. And it doesn't help that uh, thanks to all of the wonderful people that have come in from all over the world, somebody must have sneezed on me at some point because uh, I'm now surviving on DayQuil because I've managed to pick up a cold, which is great. It's been really interesting, and there's been some interesting news. Um, You know, the first thing was that uh, the buzz really was around the fact that uh, Facebook recently have, you know, said that they're miscounting their video views. Now, 
There's been a thing for an awful lot of time that uh, that we've known in the industry. I mean, we did a report on it on VB Insight like many, many, many moons ago, the difference between Google and Facebook when it came to video. So, you know, YouTube properties versus Facebook video. And when you look at the way that the two different camps count their videos, Facebook counts a video view as soon as you see it for three seconds. And, of course, they've got the autoplay mostly switched on unless you go in and switch it off. So, you know, you're autoplaying videos. Um, they're very quick to autoplay on the mobile app. Uh, and, of course, you know, lots of people are using the mobile app within Facebook. You know, as long as you look at something for three seconds before you scroll away, it counts as a view. Um, on top of that, they've been misreporting uh, those views. You know, I've been able to, you know, bring this up in conversation with people when I've been having interviews with them as, you know, part of the press here at, uh, at Adweek. And, you know, there was a really interesting point, and it was made by uh, Siraj Bhawani, who's the chief analytics officer of Visible Measures. Visible Measures, it's, it's their job to, you know, actually measure this stuff properly and work out what's going on. I mean, they've, they've got some really interesting reports out there. One of the ones that uh, Siraj uh, talked to me about is the fact that, you know, regardless of length almost, people tend to only watch half the duration of a video, right? So if you've got a three-minute long video, they're going to get to one and a half minutes before they bounce. And there's lots of reasons for that. But, you know, Siraj has a different viewpoint when it comes to this whole Facebook misreporting issue. And it's really down to not caring about it so much, right? <laughs> Don't worry about it, right? It's all good. Why would he say that? Well, you should speak to this, Travis, but his thing is it really comes down to the content creators actually raising their game in the first place and making sure that what they produce is really engaging, high-quality content that people actually want to view because that's really the issue. If, if people aren't being engaged, it doesn't matter whether Facebook are mis miscounting views or not because nobody's going to care about your content in the first place. What do you think to that? We're talking about Facebook overestimating average time spent on videos between 60 and 80%. So they're really over-exaggerating the amount of time people are spending on video, right? And a lot of times, what is it, 90% of all video views on Facebook, they don't even have the volume on. I heard that's a statistic that's... You know, uh, I believe that's accurate, at least that's, you know, that I've heard multiple times recently. So if you hear it enough times, I guess it becomes true, right? Well, yeah, I mean, 35.76% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So Very true. But if you think 90% of them don't even have audio turned up on their video while they're watching the video, that's not an active watcher of that video, right? They're just kind of passively watching it as it scrolls through on their stream. I think this is probably a play, obviously, by by Facebook. They did that intentionally because they want to, you know, drive advertising from those Facebook videos. And Facebook videos, you know, have been, you know, pretty successful for the most part when we've ran campaigns at my agency for, for clients with video. Uh, it seems to go pretty well. We get a lot of views, but who knows now how many views were actually correct on that. So they did say, though, that the discrepancy did not impact advertising billings. And they are introducing newer metrics to replace that previous method. So it does sound like, you know, that they did know that for the most part that those were artificially inflated. Sounds like they're they're going to do something about it. Or that could be just PR speak. You know, I mean, there's a couple of points there. The first one is, yes, people do look at Facebook video and they don't have the audio on. But then that goes back to the content creators, right? Because how many times have you stopped 
on a Facebook video and actually watched it through because what you're seeing is not just the video, but they've gone the extra mile. And either with just regular looking subtitles or with some really nice, beautifully formatted text that comes up and tells the story of the video over the top of the video as it as it happens. You don't need the volume up because those people that have gone that extra mile to create that engaging content, but tell the story with text as well at the same time, they perfectly know this 90% rule. They know that people aren't, don't have the volume up. So that's one thing that content creators can do to increase engagement, right? Oh, absolutely. I, I recommend that every time one of our clients are creating a video is that you got to have that text overlay because there's a lot of people who are not turning up the audio. It's a crucial element for engagement. And those who do that, they find a much higher lift. And now that we're all, you know, saying, well, I don't know what the statistics from or the analytics from Facebook videos are correct, but if you do have text on there, it does make that a lot more engaging. I'm, I find that I read along with the video and watch it more if it does have the text. If it doesn't, I rarely will turn it on unless it looks appealing and it has to look appealing for me to want to click it to listen to it. But I can watch it with the text flowing by much easier, so I'd prefer to do that. So that's like number one. And, you know, if, if you're a video producer in the audience listening to this, definitely make sure that if Facebook is the place that your video is designed to be, you want to make sure that you have that text on there for sure. Watching video on Facebook is an entirely different experience to going over to YouTube to watch a video or going to Daily Motion to watch a video or any other actually dedicated video platform, right? Because when you go to those, you're going there to actually watch the video. When you go to Facebook, you go in there to see what your friends and family have posted on their walls, right? And sometimes those are videos, and sometimes those videos are engaging, and sometimes they have the text flow so that you don't have to turn your volume up. That's a very, very different experience to going over to YouTube to watch you know, an actual 25-minute episode of uh, you know, some comedy thing or look at a five-minute snippet of Jimmy Fallon show or something like that, right? So... You know, that's very, very different, very different experience. And you have to understand those different experiences, make sure that you're putting your video out in the right way across those different channels. The amount of views that YouTube gets over Facebook still is just light years between the two, right? You don't go to Facebook to watch videos. That's not your intent, right? Your intent is to go there and look at as many Facebook ads as possible. <laughs> exactly right. And then the other thing was... Um, Announced to Adweek, Beckon, which is a marketing performance data platform, they analyzed over $16 billion in, in omni-channel marketing spend to understand what's working and what isn't working and basically where to spend your money. You know, I asked them, you know, what was the most surprising result? What was the thing that really got you going? And, and Jennifer says it at uh, Beckon, she's the CEO there. You know, she said that it really comes down to the fact that the current wisdom that brands need to be content machines is actually not supported by the data. Now, what's happened here is everyone's been talking about content marketing. Everyone's been talking about brands producing content. This constant pull of you know native content and you know native advertising and all that kind of stuff. Everyone's talking about content, content, content. And uh, in their report, they discovered that content creation for brands is up three hundred percent year over year. Right, three hundred percent year over year. It's ridiculous. And that's a huge amount of content. That's a lot of noise, though, right? I need more content flowing at me. Come on, <laughs> brands, let's go. For all of that extra volume, it turns out that 
uh, something like 5% of it actually gets any kind of engagement. And that's woeful. Yeah, it's very true. So it says the other 95% of a brand's content typically has single digit views and likes. That's huge because, you know, content marketing obviously has had an explosion. I mean, there's there's so many great conferences around it. Inbound uh, is coming up here in the next couple months or so. And I, I just spoke at Content Marketing World. And when you hear people in the content industry talk, content is king. You need as much content as possible. Great content. Help solve your problems of your customer. Content, content, content. And I'm a believer in content. I consult about creating the right kind of content though it's very very important and a lot of problem is is that they're creating this content but they don't amplify it to the right audience the right people don't actually see your content and i don't always think that content on your own site is the best approach so a lot of these brands only put content on their own site you got to develop thought leaders within your company in my perspective you need to go out and have them sharing their thoughts on other platforms that's relevant to your industry that to tap into other audiences. So a lot of times what happens is this content is they're talking about how great they are. Here's our, here was where we are. We're so great. Here's why we're great. Check it out. Here's And that's not valuable to anybody. However, if there's content out there where other people are talking about how great you are, that's golden. In my opinion, and what I consult with, with people to do is, you know what? If you get a great article on you know, Venture Beat or a great article on the Wall Street Journal or a great article on New York Times or whatever, amplify that content. Not just organically, put paid amplification behind that really good stuff to your targeted audience. Let them see it, especially if you're a, a CPG brand or you're trying to do a B2C type of a play, right? You want people to be familiar with your brand, so take that good content and share it out there. But a lot of times, they're creating mediocre content. Nobody's engaging with it. It's not interesting. Nobody wants to read it. The employees don't even want to share it. That's a problem for a lot of brands. It ties back to the Facebook video thing, right? The key here is to avoid this me too content. Avoid this stuff that everyone's already done a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times. You've got to create original, well-thought-out content. You've got to make sure it's high quality. You've got to make sure it ties in with your tone of voice with what you're trying to do from your brand perspective, it's got to work across all the platforms and all the channels, right? I mean, we, we talk about mobile engagement here on VB Engage a lot, and it still boggles my mind when I look at something on my smartphone that has not been optimized for mobile. It's like, I, I can't even read your content because you haven't even made it available to me on the one device that is with me 24 hours a day. It's these things that are really, really important. You know, we... We often spend a lot of time in marketing technology, you know, talking about the tech, talking about analytics and numbers and KPIs and metrics. And of course we do, because when you're a marketer, unfortunately, we like to think of marketing as an investment. But, you know, most people in the organization think of marketing as a cost. And as it's a cost, it's got to produce a return. And if you can't show that return, then you get fired. It's as simple as that. You know, and so we end up with this incredible race to the bottom where everybody still does all of the same bulk buy stuff, you know, on a CPI or CPM basis just to get everything through the door as much as possible, get as many signups as possible so we can show that we're, you know, justifying ourselves. But we need to elevate the conversation beyond that. We need to go and actually do some really high quality stuff that speaks to people and brings in a high quality audience um, who are going to stay with you and be loyal and become raving fans and tell all their friends. And I know it's a risky play, but that's where marketing has to go next. And 
these two stories out of Adweek really speak to that. I think you're right on. And, and really when it talks about, about creating this great content, look through the veil of the customer experience. You know, I think that's so important is that does this piece of content that you create, is this going to give or offer your potential customers a good customer experience? Is this helping them in any way? Is this solving their problems in any way? Or is it just talking about how great you are or how great you think you are? The future of marketing is really that, you know, I think it's all about the experience because yesterday when I went to the went to the Adobe studio and was, was testing out the VR equipment, I mean, that was just such a complete, amazing experience to me. I'll never forget that. And you know what? I've been a big fan of Adobe for a long time. I've used Photoshop since the early 90s, right? Really an amazing experience for me to go there and to see that. Now, not everybody gets that experience to do, but the process of weaving in experience and experiential things into your marketing to get people to talk about you, to be memorable, that's where it is. Everybody's doing Me Too content right now. That's not working, but you know what? Doing really cool things that make your customers or potential customers feel something connected around your brand. I mean, that's where you got you got to get in and do some psychology, some neuromarketing kind of things, some behavioral marketing to get inside the mind of your consumers. Think like they're thinking. What do they want from you? They don't want fluff. They don't want BS. They don't want cat memes. They want valuable content that's helping them solve their problem. And if you do that, great. And... Don't just rely on organic social for your message to get out there, right? If it's great content, put some paid media behind it and amplify it to the targeted audience who you'd most want to see that content. Then you get the engagement that you want. It's a little bit of a pay-to-play. But you know what? Some people will spend millions and millions and millions of dollars on advertising over the course of the whole year, all these TV commercials. Some companies are spending hundreds of millions of dollars. But you know what? If they'd spend just a million dollars over the course of a whole year amplifying the great content around their brand, that could have a much larger impact than all these BS commercials that are just fluff. Something to think about for sure, good sir. Absolutely. And and one thing to remember, and just to add on to that, um, apart from the fact that I do want cat memes, thank you very much, uh, so uh, don't, don't rule those out. All right. The one thing to remember is when it comes to emotional content, we want to put emotional content in private places. Right, the smartphone is one of the most private places, you know, known to people. Right, the tablet's kind of quasi-private. Right, tablets can be moved around between family members. It might be something that's in the room in front of the connected TV or whatever. But the smartphone is a private device. Your email is a private space. You know, email is amazing. So things like push notifications on smartphone, email, as well as paid campaigns, you know, all of that combined in a multi-channel approach is actually going to work for emotional content. Uh, an emotion trumps reason like 10x. So use emotion wherever you can. That's that's what you want to do is instill an emotion in people, not just a reason to buy your stuff. Hey, Travis, look, we can't do this without our wonderful sponsors. And support for this podcast comes from MailChimp. Um, more than 12 million people use MailChimp to communicate with their customers and promote their businesses. When you connect your e-commerce store with a MailChimp account, you can create targeted campaigns, send abandoned cart messaging, and recommend products to your, that your customers will love. Um, and when your customers are happy, they spend more money. And when they spend more money, you make more money. And when you make more money, well, you know, you get it. So uh, MailChimp, send better email, sell more stuff. Big fan of MailChimp. Thank you to them www.mailchimp.com. We need to get into this week's guest. I'm really, really excited about having Marshall Kirkpatrick from uh, Little Bird on our guest roster. Uh, why don't we get into that, Travis? You ready?
All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we have with us Marshall Kirkpatrick. He is the co-founder of the influencer marketing startup Little Bird. He was a former co-editor and lead writer at Read Write Web, and he was actually the first writer hired at TechCrunch. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Mr. Marshall Kirkpatrick. How are you doing today? I'm so excited to be on the show with you. Oh, you shouldn't be excited to be on the show with us, Marshall. We, we're excited to be on the show with you. Oh, there's excitement all around. There's Thank you so much. All around. Because there's so much excitement. I mean, there's three of us and all that excitement is like excitement cubed. I'm powered by awe myself. Awe and discovery and uh, bliss and joy. So, uh, so that's what I got to, to offer and just accept my compliments, please. Oh, uh, that's, I'm stoked to be here. Oh, that and, is that is and great. We can move on. I love that. Yeah. And actually, on, on LinkedIn, your test score for being awesome, you scored 99%. So, congratulations <laughs> on that. Thank you, Ben. Nobody's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you're powered by awe. You're interested in awesome. Uh, I'll bring the shock. How's that sound? Like a frightening uh, political reference to, uh, <laughs> to, a, to a different time. <laughs> yeah. Marshall, it's absolutely awesome to uh, have you on the show. Thank you so much. Listen, I, I want to talk to you a little bit today about influencer marketing. I mean, obviously, that's that's your uh, your bread and butter these days, as uh, we say here in the United Kingdom. Uh, bread and butter is very important to us over here. But you know, influencer marketing for me has become really, really interesting of late. Um, there's lots of different camps of influencer marketing. There's you know portals where you have people that say they're influencers and uh, as Andrew Grill told us if you if you say you're an influencer you're probably not people that say they're influencers are listed and then they get tied up with publishers who want to find influencers and that feels very much to me just like a kind of an ad network and then you've mm -hmm. got you've got mm -hmm. tools that help you find influencers and then you know that feels to me more like a, a PR exercise but the one thing I've noticed in all of this is that uh, things are changing in the influencer marketplace uh, thanks to that little device that we carry around with us uh, called the smartphone all the time. Um, it's really changing the influencer marketplace uh, dramatically. And, you know, I just wanted to get an idea from you of what you've seen and, you know, what has changed in influencer marketing um, since the dawn of the smartphone. Yeah, thanks. Sure, I, I see it similarly. I think there's a broad continuum uh, and it's, it's just getting more and more mature that end of the spectrum, the, the best known end, perhaps, of the spectrum that you just described there, the, uh, the come and meet our influencers, uh, where I've got a, a stable of, uh, of kids with a million followers on Instagram, and for one low price, they'll mention your shoes. That is a, a different end of the spectrum than where we play. Uh, in fact, sometimes my team tells me that when they're onboarding and training customers, uh, they won't even use the word influencers. Uh, they'll talk about experts or specialists or community members. And what we're really focused on here at Little Bird is uh, moving that market and that conversation uh, in a different direction towards discovery of autonomous, uh, independent thought leaders and experts that our customers can connect with and build relationships with and learn from, co-create content from, curate content from, uh, invite to events, etc. And, uh, and most of the people that our customers find using Littlebird are not available to be paid for uh, you know brand advocacy. Sometimes they do that. Uh, some of our customers will 
uh, you know, we'll send free gifts to people and what have you. But a, a lot of, especially in the B2B world, it's much more about relationship building and learning and using these influencers or thought leaders to discover emerging opportunities and, uh, and market intelligence. It's so true. And, you know, and when you look at the, the decline of advertising due to, you know, ad blockers popping up globally. And I think Mary Meeker mentioned in her latest Internet's trend report that there's 640 million devices now that are blocking online advertising, you know, especially now with iOS being able to block right built in so there's 400 million mobile devices that are blocking advertising so it would seem now that influencer marketing is is more important now than ever before i think so building relationships with people earning that advocacy uh where you deserve it and from a mobile perspective one of the things that that we find our customers doing is using their not just targeting consumers on mobile devices but as marketers using their mobile devices to be in consistent contact with the influencers that they're looking to develop relationships with, whether that's uh, mobile push notifications when someone that you're wanting to build a relationship with tweets uh, so that you can jump in and engage in conversation if you've got something to say, or whether that's uh, opening up your mobile email uh, to get, you know, uh, we at Littlebird send out a bunch of different emails daily, and we just released a new feature where we send out a real-time alert whenever someone in a network of influencers that you're monitoring uh, shares a, a keyword that you've set up a, an alert for. The fact that you've got a mobile device in your hand these days, just like for consumers, it also makes it easy for marketers to, uh, you know, at the in-between times and throughout the day, be reading and cultivating those relationships, and mobile is hugely helpful for that. Yeah, that's really smart. I, I like that. You know, I, I was getting some data the other day that when it comes to influencer marketing, it turns out that you know, employing effectively the the big celebrities to help push your brand um, is actually not anywhere near as effective as working with the niche influencers that have a, a very tight audience. Um, you know, good examples of this might be, let me see, Rovio came out with a, with a match three game and uh, they hooked up with Shakira for that, you know, for various reasons, just didn't work out too well. And, you know, there have been lots of other examples, not just, you know, single anecdotal examples, but good amount of data that suggests that celebrity connection isn't working out too well. Get ready for this. Uh, you're going to need to insert some kind of massive clangor sound effect, but I was talking to Kevin Jonas a couple of days ago, and he's working on uh, some influencer marketing platforms. And we were talking about this whole experience. I, you know, I think one of the things that's kind of missing here is working out your discovery of not just the influencers and keeping that within a niche, but also figuring out within those influencers how many of their followers are influencers too and getting that second level of depth and, and really you know understanding how to push that message out because i think that's that's part of the difference right if, if you've got a celebrity chances are most of the people following them are just regular consumers and not influencers but if you've got an influencer they could have two levels deep of influence and, and really help you get to that target market do you see it that way we do yeah both in terms of layers of influence and relevance, Shakira would probably be a great advocate for a certain set of things, but for many other things, she'd be really the wrong advocate for it. Let me share a, a different case study with you that speaks most directly to, to the way our, our customers work. So uh, Autodesk, 
real cool company building all kinds of futuristic design software. Uh, they came to us uh, about a year ago and they said, we're launching a 3D printing operating system, an, an OS for 3D printers. And we're going to launch it in six months. And we want to know who in the world of 3D printing fans and practitioners and media outlets, who is most listened to by other people in the 3D printing world specifically? Who has the, that, the ear of that audience? Um, and what are those people talking about? Because uh, they wanted to jump in and participate in those conversations. They wanted to have their team commenting on blog posts and resharing tweets on Twitter and, uh, and liking things on Facebook. Uh, so that the 3D, the, the most focused 3D printing, high relevance, high impact influencers there were thinking of Autodesk in the months leading up to their product launch. And they figured out using Wilbert which of those highly relevant influencers were already a part of their audience. And then they found out which ones were not. And they ended up doubling the number of influencer connections they had earned in their existing audience. Uh, in three months leading up to their uh, product launch. And then they worked with those folks that they had developed those relationships with uh, to do pre-launch briefings of the new software. That's a, the type of thing that, uh, that in B2B especially, uh, an earned media B2B influencer marketing campaign uh, looks like for us. That was great. So you did some discovery there. You did the outreach and allowed them to to really do effective internet or uh, you know, influencer marketing there. One thing is interesting. So I wrote about this last week. There's a company, a research firm out of San Francisco called Lighthouse 3, and they did a report on the influencer marketing technology landscape. And so it was really interesting to me whenever they, um, they, they did some deep, deep analysis on that. And so they discovered that it is a fragmented industry. There's 133 vendors across five different categories, right? So we have influencer discovery, influencer marketing, influencer outreach, but then you also have sort of the internal influencers within your organization and your employee advocacy, and then you also have advocates of your brand, your customer advocates. And so it was really interesting to sort of see how they were all breaking it down and in that, that really influencer marketing is different than advocacy, but they sort of work together, right? There's a trust element there. What are some of your thoughts on that? Almost like anything else, as this market matures, in some ways there'll be, it'll get more and more granular. Companies will have more specific needs and, uh, and the market for filling those needs will, will become more specific. There'll probably be some consolidation as well at the same time as the, the market matures. I think that if there's three categories there, paid influencer marketing runs the risk of, uh, of getting toned, you know, tuned out just like any other advertising and having its authenticity called into question uh, unless it's done very delicately. I think that internal company uh, advocacy runs the risk of sounding like people just spouting their own company's party line and people tuning that out. Mm-hmm. Saying, echo chamber. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Exactly, echo chamber kind of thing. And I think that earned discovery and engagement like we do can help fill some of the needs of both those other two categories, but runs the risk of getting drowned out by the promise of a quick fix from paid and employee advocacy. Because earned is, is hard work. There's a risk that it, it could be just too much work for, uh, for lots of people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, Marshall, you have been 
awesome. Um, this has been amazing. I wish we could speak for hours on this subject, but unfortunately we can't speak for hours. I will say you've given us lots of really awesome takeaways. And just like Shakira, your tips don't lie. So, <laughs> wow. Thank you, thank you. wow! Yeah, I'm, I'm dancing uh, I, right now in I went, audio. I went there. I totally went there. So sorry, uh, Marshall Kirkpatrick. You have been awesome. Thank you so much for joining us on VP Engage today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure to speak with you both. We truly appreciate it. Thank you so much to Marshall Kirkpatrick. That was awesome stuff. As I said, big fan of, of Little Bird. Great way to find influencers that are relevant to pretty much any industry, any geolocation, any hashtag, any username. Pretty phenomenal stuff. So thanks for him for coming on. And also, last week, if you missed that episode, we had Adam Goldstein on. He's the CEO and founder of Hipmunk. And Hipmunk got acquired like two, three weeks before we did that interview. So there's a lot of cool stuff going on behind the scenes. Very candid interview talking about the ins and outs of the travel industry and how they used machine learning to create this epic bot. It's a 100% chat bot that is uh, AI, so very cool stuff there. And tune in next week, we have uh, David Steinberg of uh, Zeta Interactive. Uh, he's the CEO over there, and we talk some really, really interesting stuff pertaining to advertising and marketing technology. Make sure to tune into that. Big thanks again to Marshall Kirkpatrick. And also, again, we can't do that without our wonderful uh, sponsor, MailChimp. Big thank you to them. If you want to learn how to make more money online with your business, go to MailChimp.com. So for this week, I'm Travis Wright. Goodbye. And for Stuart Rogers, it's Valley. <laughs>